What's up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another episode of the Off the Bench podcast presented by the Alibaba Group. I'm your host, Jackson Filio. Uh, first and foremost, we hope everyone out there is staying safe and healthy and continuing to be smart and responsible as we all try and get through this coronavirus pandemic. We are still obviously without basketball, uh, but we are excited to announce as a podcast that we are back and bigger than we have ever been. Starting today, the Off the Bench podcast is now a part of the brand new Wizards Podcast Network. In addition to Off the Bench, we are introducing Full Court Press, hosted by the Wizards Radio Party of Dave Johnson, Glenn Consor, and Brian Albin, and bringing in the Wizards Global Podcast, which is already hosted by Zach Akuma, all under the same network. New episodes of each podcast are available right now. Uh, Off the Bench will continue as it has to give a behind-the-scenes look at the team and the day-to-day process throughout the season and everything that happens on that end. And that includes today's episode with Fred Katz of The Athletic DC on the hiatus's impact on the Wizards specifically. Uh, Full Court Press, starting today, led by our radio guys, uh, will begin with an interview with head coach Scott Brooks. And after that, we'll continue to feature uh, interviews with Wizards personnel and other voices from around the league. The Wizards Global podcast is tailored to and gives perspective on the team's growing Japanese audience. Uh, today's episode features writer Akiko Yawakami discussing the impact of the coronavirus and the postponement of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. All podcasts on the Wizards Podcast Network are available wherever you get your podcasts and will continue to be featured on Wizards Radio 24-7 and on the Wizards app. You can follow the Wizards Podcast Network on Twitter at WashWizardsPN and please subscribe, download, rate, and review wherever you listen. All right, we are joined now, as always, by Zach Rosen and Chris Gehring of WashingtonWizards.com, and as a guest, Fred Katz of The Athletic DC. Fred, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I think we're all trying to get creative with the way we're filling our, our non-basketball time over the last couple of weeks. What about you? What is, uh, what's filling the days? Well, a lot of house chores. Uh, I, 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 I'm honestly, everyone's watching all this stuff on Netflix. And I'm so intimidated by how much stuff there is to watch that I've watched literally nothing new. Absolutely nothing. And I I don't know what to do. I'm kind of having a freak out every time I go to Netflix or I go to Hulu and there's so much there and I just end up browsing through things for 40 minutes and then don't even turn anything on and go to bed. Yeah. What about you guys? Chris, Zach, what's, what's filling the days? Yeah. What's, it's been, um, it's a similar feeling on Netflix. We're working through, like, I'm working through The Good Place, or I was working through The Good Place before this all happened, so I'm about to finish that. Before we started taping this, we were talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's obviously a great one to, to catch up on or binge through or whatever. So I've been, I've had carryovers that I haven't had the crippling effect of not having, of having to pick a new one yet, which is really nice. But, you know, we've done some furniture rearranging, ordered some new... We ordered a new uh, like bar stool table for our place. So, you know, the apartment is looking great. It's very clean. It's very uh, redecorated, reinvigorated. But other than that, it's just, um, it's, uh, it's a weird, weird feeling to have been home for like over two weeks now straight and seeing no fresh air other than just the immediate walkable area from my apartment. Rosen, we talked yesterday, and you were watching Brewers opening days games of years past. Is that? Yeah, last year's uh, 
win. Lorenzo Cain robbed a home run to win the game. Uh, I've been playing a lot of MLB The Show 16, in which I've had enough time to update the rosters four years later. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my biggest project right now is – besides reading some books and stuff, I've been binging the office, which for whatever reason I never watched. And I'm now on season three, almost season four. So honestly, if you've never seen the office, it's coming off Netflix at the end of the year, I would a hundred percent recommend it. It takes a while to get through even in a quarantine, Um, but recommend such a good show. Worth every minute. Fred, I I mean, (sighs) there's obviously a lot of time to fill. You have, have written through it, we'll say, and there's still plenty to talk about as the league, you know, continues to figure out how this is going to get fixed. But you, in a, a recent trio of pieces on the athletic, which we would obviously encourage everybody to uh, subscribe and and read, it's great work. And I think you took a, a great look at some of the different storylines that are kind of up in the air for the Wizards right now. Um, you, know, you did ten of them. We'll we'll leave some to to the people to go subscribe and read for. But let's dive into a couple. Um, I mean, you talked yeah. about Brad and Davis trying to cement some historic seasons in, in franchise history. But I think one thing, and you touched on it in a few of you know, the, the storylines, is what March and April means for a lot of young players around the league and, and what it means for uh, teams trying to develop these young guys and figure out what uh, rosters are going to look like next year for those teams not necessarily competing for a championship. What are a few of the more interesting storylines that fall into that bucket that you look at from the wizards perspective? Yeah. I mean, one of the guys I touched on was Garrison Matthews. I mean, people, people talk so much about, about his shooting. We know he can run off screens. We know he can shoot threes, but one of the things I thought I was really starting to become intrigued with, with him is that he's a, he's a really good team defender for a rookie. And a, and a really good scouting report defender. He he guards the right guys the right ways. He knows which guys to close out on. He knows which guys to help off of. He recognizes stuff pretty quick. Uh, and, and he's become good at that already, which is really rare for a rookie. But we haven't seen that much of it. I mean, he was hurt for, for kind of two different stints throughout the year. He was in the G League for a lot of it. And obviously, we don't get to see a lot of that. And even if if, if I did, you know, end up just covering the G League full-time. It's still against G League competition, slower game, different players. It's not the same thing. It doesn't always carry over to the NBA. And I was really curious. It looked like he was going to start to get some more minutes down the stretch over the final month or five weeks of the season. I was really curious to see how that was going to go. I was really curious to see how uh, Rui Hachimura was going to develop over these last, uh, you know, six weeks or whatever it was. If, if they start to put the ball in his hands a little bit more, specifically as a passer. People talk so much about his scoring. But, but I want to see how he becomes as a passer because I think if, if the threat of the pass is there, it makes him so much more of, of a viable player. It takes away – you know, the, the, the feeling that he's a guy who kind of needs the ball in his hands in order to contribute offensively. And so, so I think those two things, I think those were the two I wrote about. There were some other things just kind of generally getting more minutes for some of the guys at the end of the year. Sometimes you just have guys jump up and, and stand out. Um, You know, it doesn't feel like Admiral Schofield has played a lot this year because he hasn't played a lot with the wizards, but in total, he's, he's played a lot of minutes. He's played 1300 or so minutes between the G league and the, and the NBA, but the guys who haven't played as much, March and April is an important time for them. 
And I, uh, you know, if the league comes back, I don't think it's coming back and the Wizards are playing 18 games, I'll tell you that much. So, so I, I, I think that's, that's an unfortunate lost time, not disproportionately because it's true for pretty much any team in the position the Wizards are in, but it's unfortunate for those guys' development for sure. Yeah, and I think in that same category, and we mentioned it was a three-part piece. You went really in-depth on a lot of these. I don't remember exactly which one this is in, but you touched on Isak Banga and the Wizards and kind of the league as a whole trying to figure out what he is. He's such a versatile, unique guy that has played so many different positions for this Wizards team, both when it's been a stable, healthy rotation, and then especially through that stretch of the season when it seemed like the Wizards were missing a different guy due to injury every single night. Isak was one of those guys that you know, Brooks could just plug in in so many different positions. Um, could you talk a little bit about that, that storyline and what you see from him as everybody kind of tries to figure out where he's going to fit going forward? Because it's clear there's something there. It's just a matter of honing in on it and, and centralizing and figuring out exactly what it is. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm still not sure – what exactly he's going to be. I mean, I guess ideally there's like a three and D type of deal, but, but he hasn't, even though he made a pretty, he made a pretty good percentage on his threes this year. They're all wide open. People don't guard him. He takes one or slightly less than one a game. And they're all, what's great is that he's 20 years old and he doesn't do things he knows he can't do, which is a great thing to see. That's always an extreme positive from a young player. He plays within himself, right? And that's, that's a wonderful thing. But somebody who plays in that role, who ideally want that guy to be somebody who people are guarding on the perimeter, who is going to take a decent volume of threes because that's just his job isn't even necessarily to make threes. It's to open up the offense more. It's to provide spacing for guys like Bradley Beal or a Smith or ones who are in the ball with the ball and going to work from the middle of the floor. That's something I don't really know what's going to happen there. I think his form has gotten better. Uh, but I, I don't know what's going to happen there. And it's funny because my whole thing about Bonga was, are we ever going to figure – it's been year two, he's young, but it's still been two years for him in the league. And it was, are we ever going to figure out exactly what he's going to be? And, and people still talk about him as this really, really raw 20-year-old. And there are some people who really like him, and there are some people who just think he's too raw and that that's just a sign of he's not going to develop all the way there. It was funny. I didn't write this. I maybe I should have put this in the piece. Uh, but as I was writing that story, I was writing it, you know, some obscene hour in the middle of the night, which is just when I write my stuff. And I, I texted a, a scout, not a wizard scout, on another team who I who I really trust and and I often just kind of talk hoops with. And I texted the scout, what what do you think of Bonga? What do you what do you think he's gonna be? And the scout just responded, he's a really smart person, best scout forever in the NBA. Uh, and this guy just responded TBD. And I was like, you don't know. That is the most helpful that TBD could ever be in this context. Cause that's exactly, I'm basically writing TBD. Like I could have just made that entire section, just three letters and that would have been it. Uh, so I think the jury is still a little bit out on him right now. And I think that's part of what makes him really interesting as a prospect. So Bradley, you know, finishes the year on this tear after, since the All-Star break, the leading scorer in the league by far. A lot of that has to do with Russ kind of getting more touches with Harden and Houston and their offense changing with the small ball over there. But do you feel like looking back four months ago when the season started or five months ago, 
that Brad's standing in the league has changed? Mm, maybe. I think it's possible. Uh, I'm trying to run through it. Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, this this streak that he was on, twenty this 22-game streak, whatever it is, 20 games, 22 games, where he averaged 36 a game since the end of January, it's pretty amazing. That's an incredible streak. And, you know, people point to the record and that kind of stuff. But, it, you know, the, obviously the increased pace of play in today's game and the fact that he's really kind of taken the burden, but he's done it efficiently. I mean, he's scoring very efficiently in this stretch. I mean, I think this stretch where he's 36, 36 a game, he's shooting 49 from the field and 39 from three or something like that. The, the true shooting percentage is is close to 60%. I mean, he's he's doing it with an incredible, an incredible volume with a well above average efficiency. And that's that's an incredible thing to be able to take on that much of an offensive burden and be able to score like that. So so I would say yes, his standing has probably risen. He's he's in the conversation for all NBA. I don't know if he'll make it. There are a lot of really good guards this year. There's a lot of competition for it. And and the fact that the season is ending early probably doesn't do him any favors because now someone like, say, Ben Simmons, who's gonna miss a really large chunk of the year, is now missing a smaller chunk of the year, right? Because these final this final quarter of the year when he wouldn't have been playing now nobody's playing so things like that I think hurt him a little bit it's it's fewer opportunities for him to continue this hot streak and and maybe get up to you know really really unprecedented uh you know at least for a wizard scoring levels Uh, so I think I think that might hurt him a bit but he's in the conversation for all NBA he's right there probably one of the you know depending on who you are the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or eighth guard that you're going to bring up in the conversation. So he's, he's right there. So I guess in that sense, I'd, I'd have to say yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think he's interesting in the sense that like this whole stretch of his essentially started right around. I don't remember if it was right before or shortly thereafter, but it was right around his all-star snub. It was clear that he took that to heart and, and flipped a switch from that point going forward. And that I think has been the impetus for, for this streak and this different level that, He's taken it to, so I think it's interesting to consider. He's he's already recognized as one of those two or three guys that uh, was or was maybe snubbed around the All-Star break. So to see how that changes the conversation around All-NBA, Fred, I think you had even talked a bunch around All-Star time about the guys that uh, had managed to go from uh, you know All-Star snub to making an All-NBA team and how it actually happens a little bit more often than people think. But um, you know the discussion of whether or not the hiatus helps or hurts his chances, I think is really interesting. Cause I think, I mean, for as great as he's been, you'd have to think it would be really, really difficult for him to continue on the pace that he'd been playing at for the last say three weeks to a month or whatever exactly it was. So, I, I mean, I think there's an argument that, you know, he, he went out on his, his high point, whether or not that's what he needed to get to all NBA, you know, did, did he need to, you know, play at 90% of what he's doing right now for another few weeks and that would have cemented it or just going out, you know, at the high point of this streak increases chances. I, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't know if we'll know. This is all obviously speculative, uh, you know, if and when the Wizards will play more basketball games. Um, but it's interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're right. For, for all we know, you know, this was the peak. And over the final 15 games, there's a regression to what he was at the beginning of the year. 
and that's still a really, really good player, but it's not 36 a game on wild efficiency, you know? It's just not that. So maybe maybe it saves him an opportunity to come back down to earth. Also could give him an opportunity to continue playing like this for I think he's I think he's physically capable of doing having a streak like this for 35 games. I don't know if that means that it's gonna happen, but I think he's capable of doing it. And I think the way that stars play in the league right now makes it more of a realistic situation for it to happen. There's so many offenses in the league right now that just kind of run everything through one or two guys. There's, we're seeing, and that doesn't, people associate that with isolation. That doesn't mean isolation basketball, but it means that you got one guy who's the head of everything, and that's where you're running everything through. And obviously, the most extreme case of that is Houston with Russ and Harden, but we, we see it in a, in a million different places in a million different ways. You know, we see it in Denver with Jokic doing it, which is a totally different situation than with Washington or with Houston. You see it in a number of other places too. And so, so I think, I think that's, that's part of why we see all these big numbers. You know, you look at Dallas or you look at the Hawks and you see Trey Young do it. You see Luka Doncic do it. And those guys have huge numbers because they're given the responsibility to go up there and have those huge numbers. And I think Bradley Beal is a good enough offensive player that when given that opportunity, when put in that role, he's going to put up really, really big numbers. And when he's playing well, I guess he can put up, you know, outrageous scoring numbers for a really long time. Who who else? I, I mean, I know that Bradley Beal, and obviously with the season being on hiatus, pause, not coming back for certain teams, however we – frame that for going forward who other than Brad obviously John Wall will be back next season and we, and we know that but who from the sample size that we have this season maybe it's a guy like Troy I mean we've talked a lot about Rui but there will be parts of the supporting cast that have gotten more and more experience this season that will be expected and leaned on knowing that this roster this this team makeup is going to be very similar next season by all accounts, who's impressed you the most going into that future where you, you imagine John Wall being back, obviously, um, being a star player, being alongside Bradley Beal? Who has shown you that they can really fit in as a supporting role in a team that will have more expectations when they go forward from here? I Can I cheat a little bit? You know what? Don't answer that. I'm going to cheat anyway. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to say that I'm dividing Mo Wagner into two players. I'm going to say hmm. Mo Wagner is two people. He's pre-injury Mo Wagner and post-injury Mo Wagner. Now I'm going to say if pre-injury Mo Wagner is the Mo Wagner that comes out playing next season, then the answer is pre-injury Mo Wagner. He was so good before he had the ankle sprain. He was one of the – he was legitimately one of the best offensive big men in the league. Not one of the best bench big men. Like one of the best offensive big men for 36, he was like 21 and 11. He was, you know, he was in and out of leading the league in true shooting. And when he was out, he was right up there in the league leaders. In fact, a field goal percentage. I mean, he was shooting well from three. I don't know if he's a 40% three point shooter, but even if he's a 35% three point shooter and, a you know, 60, he was, he was what, close to 80% on shots at the rim. I mean, between him and Thomas Bryant, those were two of the guys who were one of the, two of the best finishers around the rim percentage-wise in the league. 
his shot selection was really, really excellent. Almost nothing on the long two front, really just at the rim and threes. He's great with dribble handoffs. And I know with John Wall back, you're probably going to play a different style than you did this year. But he was their best dribble handoff big man. He is, sets a lot of illegal screens, but he's gotten better in the, at that. And if he's going to come off the bench and just kind of play a 20-minute role, there's no question he's got to get better at the foul stuff regardless. And that's something that has plagued him all year, especially defensively. Uh, but more so than the offensive fouls, which I think have gotten a little bit better. But but if he is able to put up that offensive production, then he could be a really good 20 to 24-minute big off the bench and you know fill in as a starter potentially, depending on what he turns into, because he's only 22 years old right now. So we'll see which, which Mo Wagner is the real Mo Wagner. Uh, or if it's just somewhere in between and he was just on a hot streak at the beginning of the year and, and just kind of what he's done on the aggregate is, is what he is. But since he's come back from the injuries, played in the minutes limit, they had that weird thing where they rotated three centers for basically 16 minutes a night and that threw off everybody's rhythm. So, so I don't know what we're going to get out of Mo Wagner. Like I can't pinpoint what we're going to get out of Mo Wagner moving forward. He's kind of stopped taking threes, which I know Scott Brooks has kind of put into his head. I, I, I personally wish it wouldn't be so extreme. Like there are so many times where he is going to go into a dribble handoff and he predetermines it and the defender sags all the way off of him. And he could just turn around and just take a wide open three and he just is waiting for the guy to come around him for a dribble handoff instead because I think he's, he's, his rhythm is off in that sense. And I think if he gets down that rhythm, takes the open threes he's supposed to, rolls when he's supposed to, which I think he's smart enough to do, he was doing really well in the early parts of the season. That's a really good player and a really good complimentary one and a really good role player. And so, uh, yeah, early season Mo Wagner would, would be great for them moving forward. Yeah, and I think a lot of those numbers that you mentioned were you know, offensive specific and that early season pre-injury Mo Wagner was also around the time when the the amount of charges that he was managing to draw was just nonsensically high. He was also fouling too much, and that was you know something he needed to hone in a little bit. But he's he's shown a knack to be able to get under guys and and draw fouls and be at least something on the defensive end that I think is is promising for the Wizards. Where if you package that with you know all the things that Fred you just mentioned on the offensive side, he's he's certainly a piece that the Wizards are excited about. Certainly considering. Um, you know, the manner in which they got him last year. He's I mean, and and there was an argument at one point that he could be starting over Thomas Bryant, you know, earlier in the season. And it actually kind of created what could have been at the time before they both ended up getting hurt, like a good competition of them pushing each other to to see who was the worthy starter every game or, you know, who worked better with Bradley Beal. I mean, I think we know Thomas Bryant's the answer on that. They've proven that over the last two seasons. And that's another thing we didn't get to see a lot of this year. But Mo was playing at a high level at one point. And I remember us just being like, you know, maybe he's the starter of the future at center. Maybe Thomas Bryant's better suited off the bench and stuff like that. Let's zoom out a little bit briefly before we go. I mean, we've talked, you know, wizard specific here. Um, But let's zoom out for a minute and talk about, the league and, you know, the current standing of things and, you know, everything at this point, as we've mentioned, is speculation. Um, We don't know when it will come back. We don't know uh, the manner in which it 
will come back or anything like that. But Fred, when you look at um, different things on the NBA calendar, and I, th- I think everybody wants to talk about regular season games and how will that work and what will the playoff structure and things like that be. But I, I think there's so many other things on the league calendar that are going to be impacted beyond just the conclusion of this season. When you look at where the draft falls uh, and, and free agency, and it's just an, an absolute domino effect of things that are going to get pushed back or moved or impacted in some way or another, all the way up to the start of next season. Um, when you look at all those different possibilities and events that you know have to be moved or reevaluated or things like that, what jumps out to you as most interesting in that group? Oh, that is a good question. Let's think about this. I, I kind of think if we're, if we're really going to zoom out, let's say we get basketball games with no fans back at the end of July. Uh, and they just jump right into, they do a little warm up and they jump into the playoffs. If we're really going to zoom out, I mean, August into September could be the craziest sports time of our lifetimes. In that time period, we could have the NBA finals, pennant race for baseball, the U.S. Open for tennis, the start of NFL season. We could have hockey going through the hockey playoffs and then the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, that, that the Masters are going to end up becoming back. That could be the craziest overall sports time of our entire lifetimes because it's, it'll, it could end up being six months worth of sports jammed into two. Uh, so, so that, that could be, that could just be an unbelievable time for sports. Now, who the heck knows if that's what's going to happen? I don't know if that's what's going to happen. Like look at the situation that we're in right now and you read what all of these doctors and experts are saying about, you know, the path that, uh, you know, coronavirus is going to take and this is going to get much worse before it gets better. And even if it starts to get better in three weeks or four weeks or six weeks or whatever it ends up being, it's not like once it starts getting better, then we're all going back to normal. It'll start getting better and we'll still be doing what we're doing as it starts to get better because the reason it'll be getting better is because we'll be properly socially distancing and all those things. And then they're not just going to open up the country and everything's back to normal one day. They're going to, just like they gradually input restrictions, they're going to gradually remove restrictions. It's not like one day we're not going to be able to go to a restaurant and the next day we're going to have, you know, 60,000 people in a baseball stadium. It's going to be gradually put in. So, so I don't even know, I don't know if it's going to happen with that timeline. I don't know what the timeline is going to end up being, obviously, but but if that's where we end up going, if that's what ends up happening, like there's a chance here that we could end up having all these sports jammed into one or two months. And all of that happening together would just be like, that would be wild. It would, it would be really crazy. And, and it would be, honestly, it would be a, a fun distraction and way to reopen the world if all these things are happening together, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, when people look for silver linings and things like that, all of these things that we are without right now are coming back. Um, you know, it, I, I think it, it's been reported time and time again, the league and all of the leagues, not just the NBA, are going to do absolutely everything they can to make sure that these games get played um, for the sake of all the teams and players involved right now. But I, I think 
for history's sake. Like it, nobody wants to look back on this year and it be the one that didn't have, you know, an NBA champion or an NHL champion or uh, a master's champion or anything like that. It's already going to feel kind of weird. I think whether or not there's an asterisk on this title is, you know, up for debate. I think if this delay goes too long, it's going to be, if you look around the league and just think about how many situations have completely changed, whether it's a team that was impacted by injury or, or, or needed the extra rest or whatever it is. Like, I mean, this is going to impact everyone pretty substantially. So, you know, how it is remembered from a sports perspective, obviously, um, is very much up in the air and, and we will see, but, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff to be wrapped up, but as you mentioned, that is, that is the silver lining is this is all coming back and there's a good chance is going to be packed in and pretty crazy. For sure. Brad, I'm curious what, from your vantage point as a, as a journalist during this time, and you're part of a large network of journalists at The Athletic. What has your communication been like, and, and how are you guys approaching covering this as a news organization where there are no, in your, what all of you cover sports, besides the talk of when they will return and the, you know, the miscellaneous details that are tough to understand for everybody, what is your, what's your approach as an organization going into this time period? Yeah, so we're 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 trying to still be able to come up with with interesting angles and fun things. Like I think I think an organization like ours, our our model and our philosophy on journalism is kind of built. I mean, nothing is built for a time like this, but is as built for a time like this as you could possibly be because we don't write every day. We don't do game stories. I haven't written a real game story. I wrote one game story this year, I think, after the after the Garrison Matthews, Jan Mahimi, Jordan McRae win over the Heat. Oh, well, you, you didn't have a choice. Yeah, have a choice. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you had to write after that, but I think I wrote one game story this year. We just don't really, you know, if you cover the Lakers or the Bucks or the Raptors or, you know, Clippers, one of those top teams, maybe people care more about the game-to-game coverage. But, uh, you know, really for the rest of the league, that stuff isn't part of our coverage. Uh, and so we do more of the in-depth stuff and they really encourage us to take risks. And I think now is the time to take risks more than anyone. I mean, look at NBC Sports Washington is just playing streamed, uh, is just, is just playing like simulated NBA 2K games. And I'll be honest, I watch it and I'm like, I can't believe that that is on TV because I'm, I'm a washed 30 year old, but it's like, now's the time to take a risk. You can't knock it. They're, they're trying to, they're figuring, you know what, maybe this works and, and let's take the risk and try it. And I kind of, com- I, I kind of commend that. I think that's, this is the time to do stuff like that. And I, I saved up some stuff figuring this would happen eventually. I saved up some interviews, kind of started to harvest interviews for the cold winter for some features that I'm going to, gradually put out i've got one coming out coming out monday uh on that front and and i've got some more saved up for for the coming weeks and we're just going to kind of gradually put them out because they're evergreen but it's also a time to uh you know write really weird things and kind of do the coverage equivalent of just throwing a a 2k simulation out there and and seeing how it's received and if it doesn't work then you know what okay like you tried it and it's the time to do those sorts of things because this is how people are entertained i do think that people are going to want to 
read sports coverage. Like every time there's a Yankee story that comes out during this time, because I'm a huge Yankees fan, every time there's a Yankee story that comes out, I'm like, oh, I got to read it because it's, it's the way I'm getting my Yankees fixed. You know, there are no games. If someone went back and did, did a big blowout on the 98 Yankees and spoke to Paul O'Neill and Bernie Williams, I would be reading that within six seconds of it posting, you know? So I'm trying to think of kind of the equivalents of things that I would want to see with the Yankees. So, okay, what would Wizards fans, what, how would that relate to the Wizards? What would Wizards fans want to see there? And uh, maybe read some, some weirder stuff along the way, which I haven't done yet, but I've got some ideas. Well, I know Zach wants me to write a media dining. Right well, now. that's been a two-year problem, so. Uh, yes. I was, I was going to say also, I mean, every team – approach is approaching it's definitely some are holding conference calls some are just you know dealing out exclusives which is kind of the approach that the wizards are taking uh from what i understand is more so hey you request someone more like a shoot around for those who understand that concept um so it allows you so when you put out an article on let's say you write a feature on thomas bryant or just a story that has quotes from him no one else is going to have that so i think Wizards fans will be looking for anything because at this point, if you have any sources or quoted articles, they're going to be from a Wizards player, coach, personnel. Um, that's unique. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, I think also like now's the time where like, I always say the most important part of reporting is relationships. And now's the time where you flex the relationships. You know, it's one thing to, uh, have a relationship with someone because you see them every single day because you see them at you around and you see them at the arena and you see them in the locker room pregame and, and you would get along great. Uh, but it's, it's another level when you're able to just kind of text with someone about the, what they're doing during their quarantine and seeing how they're doing and reaching out and being like, Hey, can can you help me out with this story or, or just keeping up conversations with like, I always say the most important things with the most important part of the relationship that you're building is, is being able to have these conversations outside the interviews. You know, people, I think a lot of people think that the only time that you converse with uh, Ish Smith is when there's a recorder in his face. And, and that's not true. You know, there's so many, human moments that you have on the side. And, and I think when, when you're able to have those conversations just kind of texting throughout the day now, it's obviously a very different type of thing, but, uh, but you're able to still figure things out. And, you know, they say something and you think, oh, you know what, that might be a good story idea. And you hit them back up later and say, hey, can I write about that thing that you mentioned to me the other day? And they say, that's probably, that's fine, no problem. And, and you know, you have another story. So it's, it's still a similar type of thing. It's still keeping up with relationships. It's still talking to people and it's still being genuine in those relationships, but it's just kind of a, a different way of doing it. Like if, if we didn't have text messaging, if this happened in 1988, it would, uh, it would be very weird. I guess we'd just be calling up people on landlines to see how they'd be doing. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, modern day technology, it's not like, you know, we're incapable of speaking with anybody, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And I think when you look around the landscape, whether it's the league or the teams or the media that's covering, everybody's kind of in the same boat and trying to find the different creative ways to, to keep people interested and, and uh, you know, stay relevant and, and, and be interesting and stuff like that as we all kind of 
try and get through this. But Fred, we will we'll let you get at it here now. Um, as, as we mentioned, everybody can read Fred's stuff. We encourage them to do so at The Athletic DC um, as he continues to try and find the creative and as he says, weird ways to, to get us through these times. But uh, we will be back on, should be a weekly basis here on the Off the Bench podcast. Um, and we look forward to that. But Fred, thanks so much for taking the time today, man. Thanks for having me, guys.